You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, this is your host, Abraham. And your co-host, Ryan O. We have our video production assistant, Tyler Basir. Which means that we're not alone. We're all together here in the studio. And that also means that this is why we do what we do. Woo! All right, so let's go ahead and just uh, dive right into this because we have a lot to unpack here. And so um, let's first start by just talking, just giving what's the purpose of this episode or this discussion today. The first thing that we're going to try and do is define consciousness, but that's actually kind of our secondary um, goal of what we're doing today. Okay. The primary goal is we're going to discuss the fact that there are kind of two sides to this argument about whether or not consciousness is even really a thing. Yeah. And uh, the people who argue that it is, there are people who argue that it's not. And we're just going to explore those two options and then we'll sort of wrap it all up at the end in a nice little package with a bow. It'll be great. Now, before we start, though, it's important to know that there is a distinction between a couple of concepts. You might hear consciousness and think of conscience. Ooh. Yeah. And so how are those things different? Let's start with just a quick what the what, what's conscious. Okay. Well, if you look Give me a at a definition of some sort, you know? Yeah. And well, there's a couple. If you look at one of the earliest definitions of psychology at all, it used to be, and I believe this is the 1800s maybe, um, or actually no, it was earlier than that because Locke described consciousness in, I believe, the 17th century. But it was that psychology was the description and explanation of states of consciousness. So it implied that this entire field that we now belong to was yeah. simply studying consciousness. That was all that we were doing. And Can you define that one more time? Yeah. So it was that the description and explanation of states of consciousness. That was what psychology was. And then if you go back, you know, a couple, epi- couple, all the way back to our episode two, we talked about the definition definition of psychology and going back to the roots in Greek of psyche and ology, meaning the study of the spirit. So that has sort of a similar feel to it of this idea of studying like the essence of life or this uh, consciousness sort of thing. And so with conscience, we're talking about this like inner feeling or voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Typically. So, yeah. And it's the, like this guide to write, write rightness or wrongness yeah so i tend to just sort of succinctly describe them as that consciousness has to do with your awareness and your um sense of being and conscience has to do with your morality okay yes that's kind of the easiest short version of it yeah (laughs) if you look at any regular dictionary you're going to get some kind of definition of consciousness that's something like the state or quality of awareness okay and if you look in a psychology textbook, which I did, um, you're going to see a definition that says something like uh, awareness of ourselves and our environment. Now, so both of these entail this idea of awareness. And uh, this was from the one that I grabbed was from Meyer and DeWall in 2015. He cites Pollard and Suzuki in 2014. So these are pretty up to date, uh, pretty contemporary versions of uh, of this definition that exists out there. And as we as we will discuss later, the nature of consciousness has been the subject of books and textbooks and discussions and arguments for centuries at this point. You know, um, what is it? How do we measure it? What does it entail? What are the characteristics of it? All that sort of stuff. And even today, this still remains a pretty common topic. And so due to this really elusive nature of the subject, that how difficult it is to understand and measure and do good research on it, it's kind of spun this counter group who are, who are looking at this problem and saying, like, this has been such a problem for so long that maybe you guys are chasing something that's not really there. Yeah. And which has always been a very interesting part of psychology, right? Yeah. Like, are we chasing things that are really out there? Yeah. Because many absolutely. argue that we haven't really developed much at all since the early days. Yeah. 500 years ago. There's a lot of that actually <laughs> that goes <laughs> on. Um, and Man, it's fun to bring those up. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about all the other episodes we're going to be talking about some more of these things. I'm, I don't even want to list them right now. I'm just so yeah. excited. So, so, ooh, look at that. <laughs> Jinx. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was like subconsciously. <laughs> there you go. All right. No, that, that's what I want to bring up. So we got um, consciousness, but we have subconscious and unconscious things that can happen as well, too. So do we want to like spark like part those yeah so we aren't in talking about in this one we're going to be talking about unconsciousness and not necessarily subconscious and where subconscious refers to the part of consciousness that you're not aware of i guess and this goes back to the episode that we did when we're talking about subliminal messages and that's Mm -hmm. just below the threshold of detection that sort of thing this is a little bit more in line with this unconscious mind this part of your brain that is processing experiences but where you're not necessarily aware of those experiences yeah cool very cool. Are we clear on that 
distinction yeah. okay i hope so <laughs> it's kind of fuzzy because it is difficult what, where they're different but they are referred to in different ways in the yeah. psych psychological community so just to reiterate for today we're going to present the arguments that are for or against the concept of consciousness alone yes that's correct okay. Perfect. Okay, so let's start with going into the case for consciousness. Who is in favor of this idea? Well, most people, turns out. The, the majority of people do support this idea that there is consciousness, but they don't necessarily agree on what it is, but we'll get into that. Um, and one of the very foremost people you're going to find, if you look up consciousness, if you Google it at all, you're going to end up with a man named Daniel Dennett. Yeah, Daniel Dennett. I remember him for a TED Talk uh, about the illusion of consciousness. I remember all the details. I didn't refresh on that. But uh, books, author, he's kind of everywhere. I believe he even influenced some folks like Richard Dawkins, but not positive like to what extent. Well, he's uh, he's also pretty active in the skeptical community. And so I think in as far as Richard Dawkins is a part of that community, uh, they probably have a lot of common ground on this. And I know Richard Dawkins has spoken quite a bit about consciousness as well. And we'll get to him a little bit later. Um, but yeah, he, he's written a lot of books, articles. Um, I think he has a blog, all this sort of stuff. And so he said, I'm going to I'm I'm quoting him here, although I think I may have muddled the quote a little bit. He says, quote, consciousness is wonderful, but not magic. It's a bunch of tricks of the brain. And so he's basically saying that consciousness is not this thing that exists in a dual universe. It's not something that exists outside of our body. It is a part of our brain. It is a part of our body, and it's what our brain sort of does. Okay, That seems to be where he really la uh, lands on this. And there are some peop other people who argue in favor of this idea of what Daniel Dennett calls a Cartesian theater. And this is sort of a derisive term. He used this to criticize this notion of consciousness where we have sort of like a little inner me sitting on a couch watching a video of what outer me is doing and yeah. seeing. And so that inner me is the one sort of that's pulling the strings on the brain and getting it to do things. Um, and of course this goes on of like, well, how does he know what to do? He must have an inner me inside of him as well. And there's just, you know, on and on and on. And he sort of says, this doesn't work. It isn't useful. He doesn't really fall. But some people who are in favor of consciousness like that model, although they don't call it the Cartesian theater. Um, but that's what he, he gives that name to it. Anyway, let's go into some of Daniel Dennett's arguments. He says that one of the reasons that consciousness or what it is and how we know it's there is that we are capable of seeing patterns where they don't necessarily exist. All right. So you showed me this illusion beforehand and I guess we'll go in the backstory. You're just like Google this uh, thing where it's, there's a bunch of circles when the negative space in the image, like apparently forms this box. Yeah. It looks like a cube where yes. you just see the, the, the edges of the cube and that's implied by the negative space of the black circles. But all that's present is on the paper on this image are black circles with some negative space missing. Yeah. Okay. And so this seems to suggest that our brain or our mind is filling in the gaps and perceiving that there is a cube there, even though the vast majority of the lines that would indicate or that would be the image of a cube aren't even there. We're only seeing the cube in the negative space of those circles and they don't even make up the majority of yeah. the lines of the cube. So um, this idea that our mind can sort of fill in those blank spaces seems to suggest that we have the stream of consciousness that allows us to interpret these bigger you know, these bigger picture sort of things. And it's a trick that our brain uses to understand the world around us. And that would make sense, I guess, from his perspective of uh, he's, like you said, tying it back to this, these tricks of the brain. Right. Yeah. So essentially this, the fact that we can do this pattern recognition of things uh, entails that that is what is special about consciousness is the fact that we can, um, that we can infer and interpret and do these sorts of things where those things don't necessarily exist, but we can sort of behave as if they do. We can act like they're there. All right. And then have you heard of this uh, blind sight effect? Blind sight. Yes. So the idea here that uh, some alteration happens to where you report. Um, so that could be like some event or often traumatic events, right? Um, yeah. Brain injury, I think for the most part. Yeah. And as a result, you report that you cannot interact or see these sort of things, but you can still behave with respect to them. Yeah. So that was what I found was that there, there was a specific story of a woman who had some brain damage to, I uh, I can't remember which part of her brain, maybe the occipital lobe. And she was unable to tell the difference between objects that she was seeing. I mean, basically anything. She yeah. couldn't describe anything that she was seeing. And, um, and she, but she, what was interesting is she could correctly orient like a letter to fit inside a slot, a slot where the slot was only wide enough for the letter to go in vertically, but she didn't even try to put it in horizontally. She just put it in and presumably without feeling it first to make sure she had the right orientation and walking down the hallway, they specifically placed 
these obstacles and she would just walk around them. Although she couldn't necessarily say that they were there or what they were. Yeah. She would still be able to orient to them. By tell the difference, it's important to highlight that what we mean is that she couldn't verbally label those objects. Yeah. Okay. And so she, even though she could act that they were there, she just, she couldn't describe them verbally. Which, I mean, that's important to know, and it's important to come back, we'll come back to this idea later about what that means um, and how to sort of interpret that, because it might be a little bit different talking about how we talk about things versus how we act toward things. Yeah. So to get back to our definition of awareness of ourselves and our environment, like she's showing that in the situation, right? Yeah. So she just can't talk about it. Yeah. Awareness in one sense, but maybe not in the sense that she maybe knows or can talk about it very clearly. So it's like, maybe there's like a gray area of awareness. Yeah. Okay. And so another one is this idea called change blindness. And um, this is the fact that when something changes right in front of you, then you can notice that change. Um, But if you interrupt the flow of what you're seeing and then when that change takes place. So to give you an example, if you have a picture and in that picture you have a whole bunch of people and then in part of the picture, a group, the group of people goes missing. So I'm going to show you the first picture that has everyone there. Then there's going to be a white screen and then I'm going to show you the new picture, which is exactly the same, except three of those people are missing. How long would it take you to figure out that those people were missing? You'd probably have to scan the whole thing a whole bunch of times. And if yeah. I just kept flashing it over and over, it would take a while for you to go through and figure out everything. This is just one of these sort of visual perception tests that they do looking for how, you know, whether or not you can detect where things are. And so the idea here is that if you interrupt the stream of consciousness, then you have a difficult time identifying where that change is. But if the change just takes place, even if you aren't even oriented to that part of the picture, you'll notice the change. But it's when that stream of consciousness is interrupted with that white screen, it's difficult for you to find where the change is. Hmm. I don't know if we we need to call it consciousness necessarily (laughs) when we see this other change in the environment happening right out there. It's interesting that they sort of went this route, I think, and in, in making that the evidence to sort of look at and evaluate consciousness. Yeah. I also have a hard time sort of understanding why, why was that the choice to, yeah. to go after, you know? Um, why would, consciousness versus any other thing that might be occurring, there, right. such as everything that's happening perception-wise. Right. Well, you yeah, know? and I think the people who do this, mostly in perception research, they're very interested in this by looking at what's happening in your eye. Yeah. How is this related to how the neurons are connected to these different parts of your brain? Yeah. And that sort of thing. And I think they really are just like, what's going on here at this physiological level is fine. That's interesting. And none of them go with this going, oh your consciousness, (laughs) you know, at least not that I've heard, you know, there is cognitive neuroscience and they take a slightly different approach, you know, a little bit different, I guess. Yeah. Another reason that uh, people also argue in favor of this idea that we have consciousness is that going back to this idea that consciousness is our awareness. Well, we know that our state of awareness can be altered by a lot of different things. Um, So for example, one I can think of is sleep. Um, when someone is sleeping versus being awake, they're very different in how they're interacting with the world around them. It seems pretty clear that there is a different kind of consciousness, one where basically they're not conscious, Mm -hmm. they're unconscious, which is to say they're not aware of themselves or their environment and then one where they are. Yeah. Similar things like I've had some, uh, outdoor sports accidents in the past that Mm -hmm. have led to, uh, pain medications and such. And those can also seem to alter your awareness. Now, like the degree to which it alters it, like I haven't felt necessarily unconscious right. per se, but it definitely alters my awareness of myself. But in this, in the general argument of whether or not we have consciousness, this idea that, yeah, like drugs, any kind of drugs, even, you know, the illegal drugs or pharmaceuticals, if those can alter how we are aware of our world and ourselves, that is an argument that is used in favor of this idea that we have con- consciousness. And then the third one is um, when people meditate, you know, people go into these meditative states and that also changes how aware they are of themselves and their environment, presumably very aware of themselves, but maybe less so of their environment. And so that's just, you know, a deviation in these different types of awareness that we have, these different types of consciousness. And so this seems to suggest that our awareness is central to how we experience the world. This is one that most people can respond to as having had a personal connection to with respect to that description of how their awareness is sort of altered and how it can change. Everybody has to sleep. If you live longer than one day, maybe two days, like you're eventually going to be asleep. And so everyone knows what it's like to go in and out of this consciousness, at least in the context of sleep. And then a lot of other people have experiences using alcohol and drugs and meditation and, and that sort of thing where they can also speak to what their level of consciousness and how it's different. 
And so because people can really relate to this, this one's very compelling. It's very personal to be able to say, I, I've had that experience. I know what it's like. I agree with you. Like, that must be it. We've got, we've got it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the evidence shows that it has to be real. Yeah. Right? I've got my own evidence. Yeah. I went to sleep last night. I'm awake right now. Those are two different things. Yeah. We had talked about that in a past episode. I think in the first one, we were talking about psychology and, like, what it could be. And mm. the fact that everybody experiences makes experiences behavior can cause some problems into making you feel as if you're an expert yes and to what extent are you an expert just because you experience something right yeah actually so uh, daniel dennett has a whole um i think it was in his ted talk he specifically goes over this idea of you know everyone thinks they're an expert in consciousness and uh, other psychologists have said everyone thinks they're an expert in psychology because we're dealing with subject matter that people experience throughout their lives all day long that it kind of makes sense. You get this issue of people who really feel like, um, you know, you're telling me things I already know. I already know all this stuff about myself. I, you don't have to tell me psychology is worthless. We already know everything. I don't want to discredit the fact that people have these personal experiences. They do. And they're mm -hmm. important. And studying how those things work is a little bit different and like understanding the process and everything. Yeah. So, but you're absolutely right that people really connect to this idea of consciousness and therefore do find themselves to be experiences. And I don't want to blanket statement th this the way that, um, that Daniel Dennett does. There are probably a lot of people who are quite skeptical of this. Well, we know that there are, we're going to talk about them. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who uh, don't necessarily consider them experts. And there's probably a lot of people, the majority of them who just never even considered it and don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and so if those are, if those are you, if that's you, if that describes you and you're listening in right now, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you still enjoy the episode anyway. Um, okay. All right. So we have more reasons for the evidence or argument for consciousness, right? Yeah, I've got three more. Okay. Okay. I'm going to jump into one, okay. which is this idea of interrograde. Is that how I say it? Yeah. Yeah. Interrograde amnesia. Right. So the idea is that you can't form new memories, right? Right. But you're still learning things. Well, that's what's interesting about it, right? Is they a lot of people didn't think that you could still learn things and it kind of makes sense. So with uh, there's anterograde and retrograde amnesia, which we didn't talk about in our memory episode, but that refers to with retrograde is you lose your past memories and anterograde refers to the inability to form new memories. And that's uh, from the time of the event, right? Whatever yes. happened. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, like so the it's movie not like Memento. A continually moving thing, right? It's like there's some sort of event that happens. And right. That's where the retro or antero come from. Yeah. So to give an example, they had one gentleman in, I believe, the 50s um, who they surgically removed part of his hippocampus, or maybe the entire thing. It was a significant chunk of his hippocampus, which is where memory processing uh, typically takes place in the brain. And after that surgery, he could only like describe things in about a two to three minute window. And then after that period of time, it was like he was just starting over. And it was just every two to three minutes, where am I? What's going on? It feels like I've died and just sort of woken up because it's been an indefinite period of time since the last time I remember something, which was prior to a surgery. Yeah. And up until that point, you know, every day is immediately following a surgery, even years and years and years later. And so it was like as things change, it becomes more and more of a surprise to him. Yeah. But what was really interesting is that the, the researchers who were able to work with this individual, um, they found that they could teach him things and he would, he would learn them, which spoke to the fact that although the hippocampus is uh, central to dealing with memory processing, memory does take place in a lot of ways in the brain in that it's not necessarily stored or processed in only one way and in only one place. It involves a lot of different elements of the brain and how it works, as we said in our memory episode, I believe. Yeah. And uh, the fact that... Um, what was really interesting about about his case was that they could teach him something and he wouldn't necessarily be able to say that he learned it or who taught it to him or when he learned it, but he would know it. And they were teaching him facts about things, um, people that had become famous or had died after his surgery, um, about major events that had taken place. He'd be able to remember them. He would even be able to supplant specific details about them, but he wouldn't be able to tell you the person he was working with at the time. And he wouldn't be able to tell you what day it was. And even other skills that were not necessarily verbal, where they would teach him. Oh, and this is actually really cool. They did this with uh, Alzheimer's patients as well, is they would teach them these skills and they would say, hey, do you know how to do this? And they'd say, no, I've never learned how to do that. And then they'd be able to perform whatever it was 
afterward. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. So this this idea here suggests that there's this unconscious process, right, that's like guiding this new learning that's occurring? I guess it suggests that there's an unconscious process that guides learning and subsequent performance that's part of the reciprocal sort of conscious process. And so even though people who will not be necessarily aware, um, they can still do things that they're not aware of. And if there is a reciprocal side of unconscious, that means that there also must be a side of conscious that sort of corresponds to that. I think that's sort of how that argument goes. All right. Okay. So you said you had two more. Yeah. So, and actually I kind of just sort of teased the other one, which was that um, unconsciousness is a reciprocal process to consciousness. So I guess in this one, the argument sort of goes that if we have consciousness and we have um, unconsciousness, like we know that there's unconsciousness, then that really seems to suggest there has to be something that is the opposite of that. Like we can look at someone who's sleeping, someone who's been knocked out or someone who otherwise has had their consciousness altered. And we can um, point to that and say that like, look, there's unconsciousness. What is not that thing has yeah. to be something else. And what that thing is, is consciousness. And some examples that I've seen quite a bit are, you know, we're not aware of what it feels like or the process of our stomachs digesting food and our intestines processing food and all of that. We're not in, if just sitting here, if I were to say, what, do, what do your pants feel like on your skin? You really didn't notice until I said something and then you might be paying attention to it, but where our clothing is touching us, there's air flowing around us and there's all of these experiences that we're having. And we don't really identify any of them unless it sort of is brought to your attention. And so even though those processes are there and they're engaged, they're not necessarily conscious in this idea. And so again, this idea that there's this conscious unconscious. And there are also times when people will react to things before they even realized quote-unquote realized yeah. that they have to react to something because uh and that this sort of indicates okay so something was going on unconsciously so we were able to uh, react to things consciously um and but how, you know how were we able to do that if we weren't having some unconscious process going on and another one is that there are times that people they'll sort of be able to guess at something and they really it's not even really an educated guess they'll just sort of make a guess and they'll arrive at the correct conclusion and really not have any idea how they could have possibly guessed that and it's like they might have had some of the information that they needed um, but not necessarily have the answer right on hands and so they just sort of venture a guess and they get it correct then it's sort of they're, they're thinking oh my consciousness did, my unconscious was the, what guided me in this it could have been anything else that also happened it, around that time period it, it could mean, be gosh. virtually anything uh, yeah um, um, and then uh, and the last one, and this is kind of related to what I was saying already, is just that our bodies experience an enormous amount of stimulation and things that happen to it throughout the day for which we seemingly have no awareness. Like, I don't think we wake up and go through the day and every time one of our hair follicles grows a little longer, we think about it. And every time we blink, we are able to go, oh, I just blinked. You know, we, this stuff happens kind of automatically. And so this is sort of this level of unconscious of things that we're not necessarily aware of, but of things that are always sort of going on and being processed. And we can objectively look at them and say, again, if there's an unconscious, then what is the things that we are aware of that we are deliberately doing? And so most people tend to agree on this idea of consciousness having intentionality to it. Yeah. So it's the things that um, we do because they have a purpose and we're sort of oriented to some yeah. goal or something like that. And it seems to just add a lot. It do, there's necessary things. It kind of, it almost feels like a net of just sort of like, what are all the things that we can catch in here that we're going to fit with this definition we're trying to find evidence for. Yeah. Um, but just to, I want to end on that last one real quick is this, this idea that we constantly have this conscious and unconscious going on is called the two track mind. Okay. And so one thing, although most people don't necessarily agree with Freud anymore, and I know there are some people who, who really, really do agree with a lot of Freud, most psychologists aren't really practicing psychoanalysis anymore. Uh, this idea of this dual track mind, um, some people are saying, well, maybe Freud didn't get a lot of things right, but he definitely got um, this fact that so much of what we experience is unconscious. Okay, so last thing. Insight. This is, this is kind of similar to what I was saying earlier about um, this idea that sometimes we'll learn some skill or some piece of information, and then another time we'll learn a different skill or another piece of information, and then at some critical moment, we're able to sort of intuitively combine those two things. And it could be multiple. It doesn't have to be two. It could be a dozen things. Yeah. This idea that you might be able to combine these things, these skills that you have, this knowledge that you have to solve a problem in the moment, but not even know how you did it. Which, yeah, that's still, like, we're always in this novel new environment necessarily, like, going throughout this point in time, which new things are combining always. Yeah. So that is it still fair. seems to be kind of adding more than we need to, just because that's a, always happening already. Why do we need to add in that it's our 
consciousness <laughs> that allows us to do that. Well, you're basically chomping in the bit. So let's go ahead and just jump <laughs> into the case against consciousness. Yeah. I don't know if I'm for or against it right now. Okay. Figuring it out. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get through this last section. Sit, but yeah. And then we can, we can sort of declare where we are. And then we'll, we'll pull our listeners to jump in and say what they think about this whole argument. So again, and before we go into any of this, consciousness and conscience are different yes. things. I had you know some papers from students who, when I wrote on this, I didn't think to make that distinction, didn't realize that was going to be a confusion, even though they sound almost identical, it just didn't occur to me. And a lot of people are saying, of course we have morality. Everyone's got con- you know a conscience. That's how we make dis- good decisions in life. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that is totally not what I meant, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Didn't make that clear. Anyway, so bef- uh, let's go ahead and go into these. The case against consciousness. One of the widest criticisms against this idea of consciousness is that it is 100% subjective. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot of this, like everyone thinks, feels, perceives from this like different perspective with a different learning history, right? Yeah. And so at what point can we really draw the lines on, I guess, like being able to objectively measure these sort of things, right? And understand so, these things. Yeah. The experience that everyone has is unique to each person. And so we can't even know what it feels like or looks like to another person. Even when we're experiencing the same event, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that the person next to you is experiencing that event in the same way that you are. And even if we could somehow peek into that biology, peel back the layers and get out our best machinery, and even like even if we could download their thoughts, our interpretation of that experience would still be colored by our own history and our own understanding and our interpretation of that experience that would be different from the one that they would get out of that. So it's not just the experience itself, it is also like what kind of, what, what you've learned up to that point, you this know? Is why it's so hard to get to know another person on any yeah. sort of personal or intimate level. It's why it's so hard to not get into arguments on forums or social media platforms. Like there's just so much uniqueness. Right. And the fact that you bring that in, even when it does appear to be objective, it's still there. We see the world through our lens and it's very difficult to put on another person's you know, glasses. Uh, matter of fact, it's virtually impossible to be able to totally experience the world from someone else's perspective. I mean, you can get some good ideas about it and there are things that you can do to change your experience so that it'll be similar to someone else's, but it'll always be a little bit different, yeah. if not a lot different. Now, what about this idea that like, well, if we look at it and measure it, like the average will still tell us something. Like we can still glean some sort of information from there. Yeah. And... Even when you do that and going back to this idea of perception tests and how long it takes people when you interrupt their flow of consciousness to identify changes in pictures, that doesn't necessarily tell you anything about consciousness that will tell you about how well they do at identifying change when it's interrupted by things. So that might tell you something about how their vision is processed. Those are indirect ways of trying to get at this question and they're very average. So again, you get sort of what do people tend to do? Okay, that's great. Now, how do I know what someone what they're experiencing in terms of their consciousness. Is that their consciousness? What role does their consciousness have? These are questions that that kind of test isn't going to answer. It sort of tells you how well people do on average on these simple tests, but these aren't consciousness tests. They're just perception and performance tests. And so the level of subjectivity in this understanding might suggest that consciousness isn't a thing at all. You know, we all have this personal subjective experience And that is not a unique event. It's just a part of being alive. It's the nature of being alive and being a person in this case. But I think even being an animal, you could argue that they have consciousness. But I don't know if you need to. Because again, we're talking about is this a thing that even needs to exist? Okay, cool. That's the first one. Yeah. Second one. So when I asked you before we even started, what might be an argument against for or against consciousness? And we were talking about against one of the very first things you said was the definition. Yes. So there is no consistent definition anywhere that's agreed upon. Yeah. Not even close. No. Like it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. You know, sometimes consciousness refers only to being awake versus being asleep. Sometimes that's included with other things. Sometimes it's agency versus being um, inanimate. So agency meaning that it has its own will, its own Mm -hmm. goals and drive to do something and inanimate being just something that has no life, like a rock or a cup. Sometimes like we've highlighted this a lot and I've kind of responded to this, like, is it perception based or is it some sort of interpretational thing? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so there's all these different definitions, even in the top players in the philosophy of consciousness, they disagree on what the characteristics are and what the definition should be. And they've been arguing about it for decades now. And part of this, we sort of mentioned at the beginning, is this 
idea of having awareness and the definition brings a whole host of problems, right? And uh, Dennett specifically rejects the awareness as a part of that definition, although a lot of people don't. And uh, we'll get back to him. Um, but what does it mean to be aware? If I were to say, like, are you aware what color your computer is? Could you tell me? Yeah, it's black. All right. So then Silver. do I know that you're aware of it? Well, I mean, yes, we would assume that. I guess and so. I mean, you labeled it. Right. Yeah. Are you aware of the weather outside right now? ish like i can't tell you exactly but yeah okay so all of these things that you're reporting to me these are just sort of your your statements mm -hmm. like, there's just your language about how you label things and so when we think about are you aware of the the what your the mark that's on your forehead right now you don't have one i'm just saying that like yeah. if someone had something on their face are you aware there's something in your teeth what you're really asking asking them is do you know that it's there which is to say could you tell me that it was there if I yeah. hadn't said anything? If what you looked in a mirror, would you be surprised? No. What about that old article, Awareness in the Pigeon? Oh, self-awareness in the pigeon. Self-awareness, sorry. Yeah. Um, and that was the one where if they put a if, dot the, on a pigeon. Yeah, that's what they, made me think of it. Yeah, and they taught it to it. – so first they taught the pigeon if it pecked a dot, then they would get food. Mm -hmm. And then they moved the dot around, so wherever the dot was, if they pecked it, it would get food. And then they put it on the pigeon. Yes. And it wasn't pecking the dot. But then they put up a mirror – and the pigeon pecked the dot in the mirror. And the reason that they started doing this is because there are these like self perception tests that they did with kids yeah. in the mirror. And if they put like a little, a little dot on the kid's forehead, then if would the kid look in the mirror, see the dot and touch it. Yeah. And then psychologists are looking at this going, look, they, they have a concept of self and yeah. Skinner's like, okay, well, pigeons have a concept of self. Then. <laughs> and, and so he just showed that if he taught them to peck at a dot and then put a dot on them and showed them a mirror, they would peck at the dot on their chest where they would even have a blinder where they couldn't see it if they just looked down. You know, they'd have to be able to look in the mirror and see yeah. it so that they could peck at it and uh, be able to get food. So when we say that we have to like verbally be able to label it, are we saying then that animals don't have a consciousness or like where does that kind of fall? That is kind of implied by this. And I think it's important to say, okay, when, when I say that you have to, or when you said, when we're talking about the fact that you have to be able to label it verbally, and that's what we sort of mean by aware, I like that only because that is how most people talk about awareness. You know, are you aware of, you know, X, Y, or Z, these other things where you don't necessarily know about them? And it's really, when people talk about, are you aware of these things, they really seem to be referring to whether or not someone can label it, whether, whether they can describe it verbally. Although they oftentimes mean just, do you know about this? But then, of course, we have to get into, okay, what does know mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, are you aware? Well, by aware, I mean, do you know? And so this goes again to how do I know if you know? Well, you can label it. The other way is that you can act towards it um, as efficiently and effectively as possible. So it's like, you know, given some level of contact with whatever that thing is. Yeah. Um, which I guess could also say, do you remember? And maybe this is getting more into like memory, which would imply that there's some history with a particular cue that is signaling this going back to that episode on memory. But this idea of if you know it, then you can act toward it in a particular way. But okay. So if I put something in front of you and you're able to do it right away, then if I say that, you know, it, does that somehow change the fact that you did it? Does that make it better in the case of consciousness if i say like if i if i lay consciousness on top of that does that explain it better that you were able to do it or if i say that you know it does that explain it better that you were able to do it or if i just look at okay here are the steps it took for you to get to this part where you're able to do this puzzle or this task that i set in front of you whatever it is if i have those steps then i don't like i don't i don't know why adding no or consciousness on top of that tells me anything new about what you just did and so the question I have about this is like, okay, we're going into this definition. This definition tends to use the word aware, although some people don't. But let's say that we're using the one that does say your awareness of your environment. Why is awareness special? Um, as you said, does it mean animals have no awareness because they can't label their environment? But we know that they know some things. So if we just go with knowing, is knowing good enough? But if then is there important to say that they know it? And is that evidence for consciousness? Like this just raises a whole host of questions for which I don't think that there's really an answer because they're all sort of conceptual, right? And this idea of if we can learn something, going back to these people who have some sort of brain damage, they have difficulty forming new memories or something else that has affected their memory or whatever. If they learn it, but they can't label it, 
that seems to almost speak more to some kind of deficit in their language processing, right? Or how they understand or, or create their language about things. Or maybe there's some other trouble with the network of connections that are needed to sort of identify things, both in terms of the cues and the neurology and everything else and the history, the learning history. Why is consciousness an explanation? Yeah. It, yeah. It adds this, like, why do we need to add this other thing in there? Yeah. Um, and if the and only it, evidence for consciousness is the fact that it happens at all, well, it sounds like we're back into circular reasoning <laughs> again um, for, for the how and, many times. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it seems to be like, uh, not to discredit, but like a less ma- admirable sort of question than like, is it just, you know, we're getting back into like our ability to name things as opposed to this illusionary kind of like subconscious conscious, like, you know, all these other terms, right? Completely. Yeah. So another, so that was just on the awareness part of it. Another problem with this definition is uh, this term called reification. Have you heard that term? Yes. So what, what does that mean? So it's, it's simply just treating this thing as if it's real when it's not. So the idea that something that's abstract and then we, we talk about it as if it's real. And so I kind of had an analogy for that. So we describe that people act and do things with and without naming them. Okay. Just starting with first, we're just going to observe that people are doing things and we're not going to have a name for it. Um, we observe that we have similar experiences to these things. And then we describe that observation of people doing things and then sometimes naming those things. Um, we call that consciousness. Okay. So the fact that we can observe that we're doing things and we can name things, we're going to call that consciousness. And so now we're off to hunt for consciousness as its own event, even though we just came up with a name for that observation that we had that people are doing things we're now off to go hunt for that thing that we just came up with a name for as it's it's on its own it's its own thing now and we need to go find it and to this end uh, a guy named schlinger in 2008 wrote an article called consciousness is nothing but a word and so i'm going to quote him directly he says quote consciousness is not a thing a place or a cognitive process whatever that is it's only a word that we use in a variety of ways. And then he goes on to list some of what those ways are and some other characteristics of consciousness. Basically, what Schlinger is arguing is that this idea of consciousness, that's just, that's just that description. It's just a word that we use to label these, like a whole host of characteristics of things. And it doesn't actually refer to anything that's sort of really out there. I'm a little biased to his position in uh, psychology and how he views it, though. I will say that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Now, another very common argument against this idea of consciousness is that a lot of times, and with understandable reason, it gets sort of reduced to the fact that it's just these neurological processes, okay? Which is to say that it's not subjective experience, it's not a learned history, it's not part of your environment, it's just what- Just your biology, nothing else. Just what your neurons are doing, that's it. And so I'm gonna quote someone specifically on this. Uh, This was actually Francis Crick in 1994, the late Francis Crick. So quote, you, your joys and your sorrows, your memories and your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. Okay. And again, so he's just saying that this idea of everything about you, it's just your biology. That's it. That's all there is to you. And I mean, you can infer from this that all there is to you is your brain and what your brain is doing. If that's the case, then do we need anything else? To nope. study or learn from or work with, you know, like. Presumably, if you do enough research on the biology of the organism, you'd completely and totally understand all behavior all the time. So we'd understand why architects build buildings and design things certain ways. Yep. We'd understand why we do everything that we do. Everything. Every single thing that you do could, you could look at a brain and you could know exactly every action that person would take for the rest of their lives. I, it surprised me that this is like a thing that people are kind of like into in the first place. It is. You I know? agree. Like why, I, why, like I'm going to discredit everything else in the world as my argument as yeah. to why this thing is a thing. Yeah. And I think to be fair, so uh, hold on, I guess I should take a step back and say, I don't actually know if that's the position that these people would take on this necessarily, but that is sort of a, a if you extend this argument out to the point of like, where does this break down? It doesn't go very far before you reach the level of absurdity, right? Yeah. yeah. That it's just sort of, nobody's going to take that position that presumably if we study a brain, we will know everything about a person. Maybe they just mean we'll study a brain and we'll understand everything about them right now, which is fine. I guess that is what it is. Yeah. Um, but there's still a lot more of understanding. I'm asking how does sp- it get this way? It could be a spinoff of the podcast. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
that, it is what it is. Well, brought that, to you by the Why We Do What We Do crew. <laughs> that struck me in just the right way. <laughs> I gotta say. Uh, Hopefully that's it struck some listeners as well. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler said it ain't what it isn't. It ain't what it isn't. <laughs> well, that's when can, we when we w- tour the South. That'll be what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next quote we need to look at? All right, the uh, the next one. Um, this comes from a guy named Chalmers. He's a big researcher in this field. This quote um, was from 2000, I believe. And so he says, "Quote: The search for neural correlates of consciousness, or what he calls NCCs, is arguably the cornerstone in the recent resurgence of the science of consciousness." And so he's sort of just stating in this case what's really what's going on currently in sort of common psychological neurological research. Um, but he is accurate in saying that this idea of neural correlates um, is very popular at the time that this occurred. But that again speaks to this idea that what we're really looking for we can't we can't seem to define consciousness in a way that anybody can agree on. We can't seem to figure out what it is. So we're just going to try and find out where it is. And the only thing, the only evidence we're going to have for it lies in the, the what's going on in the brain. So to quote Schlinger in response to this, he says, before we search for the neural correlates of consciousness, we need to know what consciousness is. Yeah. Which seems pretty important. You know, if we're going to go hunting around in the brain looking for it, we have to know what it is we're looking for. It's like, imagine I tell you, here's a million dollars. Go find me a snark. You might say, but I I don't know where a snark is. (laughs) Yeah. You might say, great. That's awesome. What is a snark? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to say, uh, no one knows, but here's a million dollars in it for you. If you can find one. (laughs) Right. And sort of, you know, everyone's spending tons and tons of money going out looking for this consciousness and they have no idea what it is they're even looking for. Hoping, I guess that if they throw enough things against the wall, something is going to stick. There's been a lot of that shown in various different areas too, including educational research. Yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to something we've brought up many times on this epi- on this podcast before, which is that the brain is part of our behavior, but behavior is not found there. Yes, right. The no. brain is very critically important in everything that we do, mm-hmm. but you aren't going to find the explanations of behavior just by looking at what the brain is currently doing. That's just yeah. part of it. Yep. Yeah. It's solely not found there. And sort of a, just a logical argument here. If consciousness is literally just these brain processes, then why not just refer to consciousness as those brain processes? We already have a term for that. You know, we yeah. already have names and understandings of what those processes are and how they work. We don't need two different names that mean virtually exactly the same thing, but where one name sort of implies this metaphysical agency thing yeah. and the other one doesn't, but the other one doesn't mean the metaphysical agency. It only refers to those brain processes. Like if it's just brain processes, just call them that that's what they are they are neurological events that take place and that is that's what's happening yeah i think that could be a hard thing because you feel like you got to kind of make your own thing right and kind of have your own five steps or you mean like make a name for yourself yeah okay you know i mean i guess i have to yeah exactly all right another one another argument against this so i kind of like this one so noel smith right Mm -hmm. comes from this even in the the backgrounds that you and I have like an area that not even a lot of behavioral folks like are super in tune with this sort of area. Right. Yeah. This is, this is not that well known. So it's this idea that there's a difference between events and constructs, right? So is consciousness an event or a construct? All right. So a construct he explained is this representation of a thing, either in words, math, symbols, etc. And consciousness is certainly a construct because it has no clear event that is composed of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he sort of says that well in terms of like, if this is what a construct is, just a representation, mm-hmm. this is why consciousness is a construct because it also is just a representation. It doesn't have a thing that we know what it is. Yeah. Now an event would actually be a thing, right? Yeah. So describe an event. So it, it well, it's, it doesn't even have to be tangible. An event is just anything that takes place or happens or is right. Something it could be tangible, but it doesn't have to be. And to that point, so just to make the argument of, we're not saying that, our subjective experience isn't real. Um, but what we're making the case is that, uh, the experience of consciousness is a construct because things like imagining and feeling those are events because those are things that people do. People mm-hmm. think people feel people guess there's all these things that we can do that we don't even necessarily see, but there are things that we do that are definite actions. And those would be called events, but consciousness, it doesn't have an event. I can't look at you and say, are you consciousing right now? You know, I, we can't, identify what they are. We don't even know when it's happening in ourselves. And so that's why he argues that it's not an event. It has to be a construct. And so if we sort of deconstruct this idea of 
is this or an event that's out in the world or is this just an idea and sort of an abstract yeah. idea at that, um, then that will help us, I think, understand what we're talking about when we, we refer to this. Cool. So you're saying consciousness, consciousness has no like correlation with uh, anything either observable within ourselves or with others. When yeah. We're watching them. Basically. Yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah. And, you know, it's therefore um, an idea that's not improved by reducing it to biology or assigning a whole bunch of characteristics to it because it doesn't even really refer to anything. It doesn't refer to any real process. It, it seems to be made up of processes that are real, but those processes we already have names for. We already understand what they are. So consciousness sort of this sort of global bigger picture name for it. And so I also wanted to come back to the one where we were talking about intuition, this this insight where we sort of come up with on the spot the correct answer or a solution to something yeah, yeah. Or, or we react without even knowing. I think that this is important to, as you said before, we actually do this a lot throughout the day, throughout our everyday lives is that, and these aren't like these big aha moments every single time. No. It's just that things change and we change and it makes intuitive evolutionary um, logical, all the sense in the world. It makes all the sense that we can sort of generalize and extend and apply our skills immediately to situations where they're needed without having to sit and ponder and like try and wrap our brains around our minds around the nature of the knowledge beforehand. Um, this type of event isn't really special. We actually do it a lot. And sometimes the magnitude of it is larger or the implications of it are larger, but that's not improved at all by this idea of consciousness wrapped yeah. around it. You yeah. know, all day we go around having to behave effectively with things that might shift a little bit. Thinking about driving in traffic at any two days or is driving in traffic exactly the same as it was the day before. Never, 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 absolutely never. I mean, you could maybe arrange it that way if you wanted to coordinate with a bunch of people, but even then you have to account for differences in like the what weather, time yeah, the weather, yeah. what time you start, how dark it is, the temperature, all of those things are going to be a little bit different. And so we are able to sort of adapt to these situations. And sometimes it takes a, a little bit larger adaptation. Sometimes the circumstances are a little bit more dire, but all of it is just stuff that we do and we kind of just do all the time. And so to say that we do that and now that's consciousness, well, I haven't explained it any better. I've just laid a new thing on top of it. Yeah. Or not a thing, I guess a construct on top of it. <laughs> all right. All last right, cool. one. Last one. Yeah. Let's hear it. All right. So the last argument against this idea of consciousness is of the, is this of any practical importance? So even if we give drugs that alter the state of consciousness, do we care that it was the consciousness that was altered or are we more concerned with the effects that those drugs had on that person? Like, look, they are currently out of it. And yeah. like, if I say that it was conscious or unconscious, well, that doesn't, that doesn't change anything about my understanding of the fact that they're currently not responding to things, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, um, if we add going back to neurology if we're looking at what the neurons are doing, we're learning something new about how the brain works and how the brain processes information to layer the consciousness on top of it. Again, that tells us nothing more about what we're observing. It's just giving this, this layer of confusing terms that have no correlate to any real event and just saying, Oh, that's consciousness. And, you know, going back to some of those arguments for it that we're looking at now, I had a hard time when I was researching this, looking at the argument and being like, well, why does that mean that's conscious? Like where, how are you drawing the parallels here between these two ideas? And it, it just, it seems to me that it just, it gives no added benefit to this idea at all. This is a similar idea for the drugs one. If someone is asleep, it's not the quality of consciousness we're, current with, uh, we're concerned with per se. We're interested in if and how they'll respond to us or some other external stimulation or you know notification or event that takes place. You know, is this person going to react if someone kicks in the door and walks in here, or yeah. if someone slowly walks past them? You know, those are things that we're concerned with. And calling that conscious or unconscious doesn't tell us anything more about that situation especially because we'll only know if they react in that particular way we won't actually know, we won't predict anything yep so i was talking about if we add it on top of them and all that thing if we take it away do we lose something no outside of like we don't have this special thing that we can kind of talk about now yeah we don't have that thing that we feel is so special yeah this idea of consciousness it's like you know we try and remove this sort of metaphysical idea of consciousness out of these experiences that doesn't make those experiences any less valid or any less interesting to try and study in fact it makes it a little bit clearer i think and what we <laughs> could try agree. and learn about them yeah you know we're no longer hunting for something that doesn't exist we're just looking at what's actually taking place yeah, and just, i think that's just great be real clear we, we, we've been hunting for this for at least 2500 years yeah very long time and we've yet to really find anything 
Yeah. At all. And I think that, honestly, the most damning argument about consciousness is not that it's wrong or even harmful. It's that it's just completely unnecessary. We gain nothing by having it as a concept. We lose nothing by taking it away. It seems simply to exist for the sole purpose of sort of confusing the events that are actually taking place by providing no explanatory value to them whatsoever. That is pretty damning. (laughs) I'll give you that. This was kind of interesting to me. I've seen this happen in a few different interviews, and so I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but when asked what the greatest question science could solve might be, the, uh, the very well-known Richard Dawkins explained, or um, he, he proclaimed at that point that understanding consciousness to him would be the greatest thing he would like to see achieved by science in his lifetime. And I'm, I remember hearing that and just thinking, what? why it's so unnecessary and it seems to not even really exist you know at the time i had done a little bit of reading not as much as i've done up up until this point yeah and i was thinking like this seems like one of the least interesting things we could possibly learn a whole lot about because i think what we're gonna have to conclude is that there is no such thing as consciousness we have nothing to learn about it and i mean that's my opinion i could be totally wrong and if i am then dawkins is right and that's great and regardless of how you feel about him politically or religiously or otherwise you have to admit he's a pretty smart guy yeah so i was just surprised that like that was the thing he was so intrigued by and even something that might have these really profound implications the fact that it's so on the fence whether or not it's even real to me is sort of like that, that seems like that shouldn't have been a target at all yeah. if it had that much question about it even existing in the first place. Yeah, I can see where he's coming from, though, I guess, like, in the sense that it supposedly alters everything, right? That's fair. In the degree to which you're aware of something. So we sure. could be missing out on everything else that's being learned if you don't first understand this. That's a great devil's advocate position to take. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Being a person that, uh, being a person I wanna like see some evidence of something and making progress, like, and not really seeing that anywhere. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna stand behind that, but I, I get the perspective, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, you shut me down. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I just like, I understand the perspective, but it's not, okay, this is a good segue. Like, where do we fall? That's, you and I. I love it. So I would say that, kind of go with that like i get the perspective i don't think we gain anything i'm gonna stick with that yeah that's where i fall like i don't think we get anything from labeling anything and talking about this stuff like we haven't found any evidence yet yeah i'm all right with the risk of maybe it's out there and not having found it yet i mean there's a lot of other people are going to keep studying this anyways it's not like me having that point ends all the research and whatnot right (laughs) very very true um probably nobody's doing that research is listening to us anyway absolutely nobody altered the research lines because that statement yeah at least at this point in my career um now in the sense of like so there's this concept like mid-level terms right like it kind of i don't know if it really it doesn't really fall in this mid-level term of like between scientific and like um, these lay terms that we use all the time in our language. They're but just supposed to be sort of communicative. Yeah. Like yeah. it kind of like, I, I do use in that sense. Like if someone talks about conscious and unconscious and subconscious and conscience, <laughs> um, it, it definitely gives me an idea of where they're kind of to start to talk about maybe ish kind of. That's very fair. Like, I guess we're getting down to awareness, but then I kind of question like, why don't we just talk about awareness? Like maybe, right. you know, but I guess like that's the only practical use for me. Like I kind of get an idea that they're not talking about a lot of other things, but then I still don't know what they're talking about. Right. Per se. So it just seems like, yeah, we still don't gain a lot or anything. Yeah. And I, I, te- I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I, when teaching this sort of thing and, and talking about, okay, so we're not aware of our stomach that's di- digesting food. And I'm like, okay, uh, so you yeah, know, it, I don't understand why that's so amazing to you. Um, you know, our, our bodies do a lot of processes that help us stay alive. And the fact that I'm not spending 100% of my time going through and labeling each and one of them because I know ex- I can tell you exactly what it feels like the whole time. Like eh. That's actually pretty cool that we don't have to do that. Right. We can spend our time doing things like podcasting. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the f- I, I can orient my attention. If I had to s- devote such a proportion of my attention to just keeping my body doing all of these processes constantly. Yeah. That would be really difficult. Like I I would have a hard time getting anything else done. You know, I'd have to have, I would have to increase my ability to orient to multiple things simultaneously by an enormous degree. And we haven't talked about this at all, but people are terrible at multitasking. No matter how good they think they are, most people 
almost everyone is terrible at multitasking, really multitasking. Yeah. People can kind of coordinate some things where they're doing a few things at once, but mostly people suck at it. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> you know, if I had to devote my time and attention to focused on keeping my body running and also trying to find food and stay alive, that alone would take up all of my time and then some. That'd be worth living, losing sleep over. There, I mean, there are some things that'd be nice. It's sort of like, uh, and I'm going to go to sleep now, you know, and just yeah, <laughs> yeah, pass yeah. out completely. <laughs> and I'm going to wake up now. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice if I had a little bit more control over those. But the fact that we don't, I think, again, this just makes very clear evolutionary sense how difficult it would be to survive and be successful in the world where you have people whose bodies are in an automatic sort of mechanical process that they just go through these steps that they need to go through in order to survive every day versus those who have to voluntarily like consciously control every part of what they do. I never thought that that was particularly compelling. And honestly, it was a little frustrating to try and teach that and be like, look how cool and amazing it is that our bodies do things. Okay. Our bodies do things. Great. Um, You know, I, I think that, at at best consciousness is unnecessary okay and at worst it is really distracting away from better research that could be done and i i would say yes it very much could be with the fact that we haven't found much of anything at all yeah come like read or listened to as like we haven't found it yet yeah i <laughs> um, guess i mean maybe at best well, okay. I'm gonna. Say, I was gonna say at best, consciousness could lead to really good things, but that's not what it is doing. At, yeah, at best, exactly. right now, it's 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 nothing. You know, it's it's uh, it's unimportant. It's unnecessary. Um, it it's very possible that it could be a really important line of research down the road, and we just don't know yet. Yeah. And I'm. It's been a very long time under the microscope, producing very little results. I would hope so, given the amount of money that is put into it in time. Right. Given all the other world's problems. But yeah, I'm skeptical at best. Most of the things that have been under investigation for as long as consciousness have, have continued to produce things. A lot of useful things. Yeah, we've advanced, we've learned, we've created all these new technologies. technology or travel sector. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And those, so those are things that continue to be researched, but things that have as long a history as consciousness with as little products as consciousness, most of those, it seems like they've gone away. It makes me wonder if like Aristotle showed up, if he'd just be like, oh my God. You guys made no progress. <laughs> it's like, oh dear. Or like little progress. Right. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. I'm digging a little hard right now. Yeah. Into that. I should step back. Okay. So I'm going to play this quote that I found um, from Neil deGrasse Tyson on YouTube. And uh, it's just him sort of talking about consciousness. I really liked what he had to say. And I found myself agreeing with him basically. So anyway, here it is. Uh, Richard, you know what I think? Not that you ask, but what I think on this is uh, consciousness has kind of baffled us for a while, okay? And evidence that we haven't a clue about what consciousness is, is drawn from from the fact of how many books are published on the topic, right? We're not really continuing to publish books, not really, on like Newtonian physics. It's done, all right? So, so... The fact that people keep publishing books on consciousness is the evidence we don't know anything about it. Because if we knew all about it, you wouldn't have to keep publishing. So, so what I wonder, what I wonder, Richard, is whether there really is no such thing as consciousness at all. And that there's some other understanding of the functioning of the human brain that renders that question obsolete. Boom. Okay, so I generally agree with it. Okay. Um, yet, like, his reference to Newtonian physics, like, we also saw that, like, a more field theory approach, like we kind of talked about on, like, everything influences this stuff, mm-hmm. kind of replaced that. So it's not like we, like, it was, like, learned in a fact, as he kind of implied. It was kind of like something better came along, which we kind of implied this with today of, like, there's a lot of things going on, right, all the time with our behavior and what's being influenced. Right. The fact that there's no evidence of it, like, yeah, I agree with him, but I don't know if he kind of wraps it up succinctly enough for me. That's fair. And I think, you know, there's, it's accurate to say, or to to criticize that in terms of saying, just because there's a lot of books published about it doesn't mean that it's not real. It does imply that, as he said, we are, there's a lot that we don't really know yet. 
And I also don't think that it necessarily means that we have more to learn about the brain because he implied that at the end, right? Like he said, like we have more to learn in the brain. Uh, well, yeah, I think what he was what he was arguing there is that what we are calling consciousness could be better explained by other concepts that we already have or okay. we'll learn about the, about the things. So where, where people refer to consciousness as a biological process, I think the argument he was making is if we learn more about the biological process, we don't need to call it consciousness anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, those are concepts yeah. that we have or that we could develop that are, that are events, not constructs, you know, because they relate to things that are really happening. Okay. That, that was where, how I yeah. understood him anyway. Okay. Um, there's another thing in here I just wanted to say is it was just kind of funny because, um, in 1991, Daniel Dennett published, uh, this very, very long book titled consciousness explained. And then in 2001, he wrote an article called, are we explaining consciousness yet? And so quoting Schlinger, he said, if he had asked the question, the, um, the answer seems obvious. <laughs> so, you know, if, if after, you know, he wrote consciousness explained in 10 years later, are we explaining it? I think that implies that, you know, again, this, this idea that Neil deGrasse Tyson was alluding to is seems like we don't really know a lot about this topic at all. Yeah, no, we, we definitely don't. But for any of those of you who are out there listening, you have strong opinions about this, you agree with us, disagree with us, maybe we changed your minds a little, we want to hear from all of you. Please feel free to hit us up on all of our social media and, of course, email. We had a ruffled someone's feathers today. Yeah, I imagine <laughs> someone listened to this and they got a little uh, flustered by it. Uh, so that's okay. We want to hear from you. Let us know. Cool. With that said, this is Ryan O. This is Abraham. And we are out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.